This is a podcast entitled What We Will Abide. Thanks to those of you who've been listening and offering your feedback. I really do appreciate it. I'm really interested in everything that everyone has to say about what I'm doing here since I'm so new at it and since I'm trying a bunch of different things. Really anything that anybody offers by way of response, um, criticism or things that they like or things that they really don't like. Um, is really useful for me. So if you could go to samschindler.com, go to the podcast page. Uh, each podcast has its own comment section and write whatever you want there. Um, it's really, really useful for me. Alternatively, if you are perchance sitting in traffic and by the time you get home, you will completely forget the comment that you wanted to write, you can reach me on Twitter with the handle at samschindler43. In this episode, um, I cannot help but notice that we are slowly bearing down on the 15th anniversary of, of course, the uh, September 11th attacks in the United States of America. If you were alive and conscious then, these uh, events need absolutely no background and no introduction. They really have been uh, reported, at least to a degree, uh, extensively in this country, especially uh, around this time of year, every year. That is, of course, to say that much of the story has been left out, and much of the story has been deliberately forgotten, like so much of what we discuss here on What We Will Abide. What are the things that we deliberately forget? What are the things that we deliberately leave out? And that over time, we scrub from the historical record. I'm interested in that, of course, as an historian, and as uh, a person who reads a great deal of history, a person who teaches history and is constantly burdened, I suppose, by history and has history on his shoulders every time he makes a comment about politics. Um, but I'm also interested um, in in this idea as, as just a person in the world who uh, is recognizing that 15 years have gone by. Um, and even though at 26, uh, I was a very different person then, in a lot of ways I've forgotten, maybe for good, maybe for bad, what I was like when I was 20, when I was 25, when I was 30. Um, I seem like a very different person from what my memory is of what I was like then, uh, as opposed to what I'm like now. Uh, in a lot of ways, in the same vein, the memories I have of September 11th, 2001 are very, very clear. Um, clear like that Tuesday morning, incredibly clear. The air just on the cusp of turning to fall, but not quite, really just holding on to late summer, so it had that kind of warmth to it, which is the undercurrent of crispness. Some leaves were falling, the sky, that brilliant blue, of course. All of that is emblazoned in everyone's memory, if they've seen pictures or if they were there um, in New York City, like me. The reason that I've chosen to do a podcast on September 11th is obviously for ratings, um, I'd like my podcast to be featured right up there next to Scarlett Johansson's cooking podcast. That really is my goal. Another reason uh, for doing this is um, to do the sort of pedagogical thing uh, and ask a question, ask a question of you, my audience, and of myself, which is to be kind of, um, I suppose, obvious about it. Uh, what have we learned? Um, 
Well, one thing that we've learned is that the only person who regularly still invokes 9-11 is Rudy Giuliani. Uh, every time I turn around, he's somewhere now that nowadays, of course, stumping for Donald Trump, an interesting New York figure himself, um, waving his arms around, um, with that, you know, fleshy face of his and those glasses. And he's, he's doing the same thing he did, uh, 10, 12, 15 years ago, uh, invoking fear. Um, and reminding us uh, how much danger there is out there and there are enemies at our gates uh, ready to bash them in at any moment. Um, he's been banging that drum for a decade and a half, and I wish somebody would tell him to stop. I suppose it's how he stays relevant, since he is, uh, in a lot of ways, one of the least relevant men on the planet. I mean, if you really look at it, what he has to offer in terms of ideas and policy, utter garbage. Uh, but he, yet he, he gets up on the stage and he starts waving those arms and waggling that chin and, uh, talking about terrorists and talking about security and all of that. And, uh, it seems to rile people up in the same way that it did back, um, 15 years ago. Now, I, I mean, okay. So I, I could sort of bash Rudy Giuliani in the head till the cows come home. Uh, but I bring him up for a particular reason. In the, really minutes, hours, and days immediately after the events of that morning. He was the face of calm. He was the face of heroism, oddly enough, uh, over and against, you know, evil and death and destruction. Um, Every time we turned around and we spent most of our time sitting on our couch watching our television, he would show up on our screen and he would be the picture of calmness, coolness, collectedness. Um, He, you know, had various emergency management officers and police and fire department and officials behind him, but he stood forward with that microphone before him saying all the things that every New Yorker wanted and needed to hear. And my wife will be the first to admit that upon seeing Rudy Giuliani on September 12th, 13th, 14th, and following, she felt safe. And there's something to that. There's something really very significant about that. Because all of us, uh, no matter if we were just three miles from ground zero as we were, or if you are, um, if you were, uh, all the way across the country, um, as a very good friend of mine was, and I'll tell that story in a quick second, um, you needed to feel safe because the world had been sort of turned over and dumped out. And uh, for someone like me, who was 26 years old, I remember saying very plainly, very clearly to anyone who would listen, it's all different now. Everything's changed. Um, and I can say that now, uh, looking back at that 26-year-old person, uh, with uh, a significant measure of, of disdain, I suppose. Uh, disdain not necessarily for my histrionics, but instead for my ignorance. Because in a lot of ways, I didn't know. Um, I didn't want to know, and my teachers didn't want me to know, whomever they were, whether they were official teachers in a high school or college setting, uh, or parents, or any kind of mentors. Either they didn't know themselves and didn't have the wherewithal to teach me, or... We were all sort of collectively with our heads under the blankets. And a lot of what this podcast is, is talking about how 
many of those blinders uh, are coming off or have come off uh, since then. Before I get into further critique and commentary, a couple of stories. First, I'll tell the story of a, a friend of mine whose name I won't mention, but I will say that he's gone on to become uh, a pretty well-known author. He wrote a very, very good novel, and um, I'm proud of him, and I've known him for some time now, about 20 years. Uh, his story is near and dear to me because in a lot of ways um, it's my story, but it, it's also different from my story. Uh, <clears throat> he had, um, in the fall of uh, 2001, uh, left to go to a, a graduate program, a, a Master's of Fine Arts and Creative Writing program uh, in California. And um, I don't know exactly which day he left, but it was early September that he decided to drive across the country uh, with a companion. And on September 11th at 5 o'clock in the morning, he was crossing the border from Nevada into California with the radio on. And he has told the story several times and the emotion in his voice still wells up. And he says, you know, five o'clock in the morning corresponded to eight o'clock in the morning when things were just beginning to happen. Uh, and he said he was listening to the radio and he heard the events being broadcast. And after having driven 3000 plus miles, the only thing he wanted to do was turn around and drive home to New York. Of course, he didn't do that. Um, but there's, a kind of there's a sense of pain in that story, um, which uh, I really identify with. With which is here was a New Yorker, someone who had grown up actually like me in the suburbs of New York City, but had lived uh, as an adult in New York City and um, felt very much that the city was part of his lifeblood, and uh, you know, talk the talk, walk the walk, whatever that means to be a New Yorker. It's changed. Um, it changes every ten years, every five minutes, for all I know. But uh, he'd left it behind. Not being there somehow, it was somehow an even greater loss for him being across the country. At the time, I was working at a job that I didn't really like. Uh, and I would routinely show up around 1045 in the morning. So uh, I guess it was, I don't know, um, somewhere in the area of 9 a.m. when I'd gotten out of the shower. Uh, and I remember being um, pretty tired since actually the night before we'd gone out. Um, to a work event for my uh, then-girlfriend, now-wife. So we gotten back late, and, and I was having a sluggish morning, to say the least. And I remember after getting out of the shower, just lying back on my bed and hearing the craziest sound. It was a huge crash. And um, I don't know what it sounded like. I had no frame of reference. So in my mind, I thought somebody just smashed a van into into a brick wall. That's That's the image that came to mind. Um, seconds later, the phone rang and I went to pick it up and then all these things started to happen at once. My girlfriend who would later become my wife had gone to vote. It was, um, the day for mayoral primaries. Speaking of Rudy Giuliani, I remember that, uh, um, uh, Mark Green was running and, um, that was the beginning and the end of his political career that day. Uh, and she'd come back from voting and we lived in a garden apartment, which actually is a uh, New Yorkese for you're living underground. And I was looking up at her feet in the window and she was very confused. She had lost her keys. Something was amiss. The person on the other end of the line was actually her mother. And I couldn't understand why she was calling me at such an hour. And she was telling me as I finally began to key in on her voice to turn on my television, which I then did. 
Um, so that's how the day began for us. Uh, we spent some time outside, um, watching from, I guess, the safe-ish distance of three miles away as the crow flies from, uh, the Twin Towers, watching them aflame. Uh, we went up to the top of our roof, um, uh, in the building that we were living in, or, or I guess our, our landlady, uh, was home and she invited us to the top of the roof to sort of watch what was happening because it was such a stunning, wild, and crazy event. We really didn't know what had happened at the time just yet, but I remember watching as both towers burned. Um, the quirk there, and then I'll end with this, is that we came down the steps, uh, and, um, upon arriving back in our apartment with the TV still on, I noticed that the picture was radically different. Um, it was full of dust. And when the dust sort of gradually cleared, I noticed that there was just one tower left, and I didn't understand what happened. And in the time that it took me to process that, the other tower disintegrated. So I missed watching by a mere probably a few seconds, the first tower collapse, um, at least watching it firsthand from my roof. You're probably thinking of your own story or the story of someone you know. And like I said, they're all alike and they're all different. I'm actually less interested in the question, what have we learned? Because I don't actually think we've learned anything. I mean, individually, we may have learned things. Like, as I said, for me, uh, I learned what's really going on in the world. I learned what the United States has wrought in the Middle East, for example. Um, I've learned about their relationships with dictatorships that they have propped up in Saudi Arabia, in Egypt, and elsewhere. Um, I've learned about human rights abuses. Uh, I've learned about the history of Western influence in places like Lebanon and Syria, certainly Israel and Palestine, Iraq, Iran. Afghanistan, and so on. But there's another simpler question that very few people were asking that day. They were asking lots of questions all over TV, radio, internet, such as it was back in 2001. People are asking what happened. They were asking how did it happen? How did 19 hijackers, 15 of whom were Saudi, how did they get these planes? How did they have this idea? How did they perpetrate this crime? But nobody was asking the question, why? That question was absent from all TV broadcasts, from all news commentary, from almost everything in print. There was one intrepid journalist whom you probably heard of. His name is Robert Fisk. He's in his 60s now. He's uh, written um, for the last uh, several years for the uh, Irish Independent. Um, he lives in Beirut, and he's written um, several books, uh, one of them about Lebanon called Pity the Nation, uh, which charts the so-called Lebanese Civil War uh, from 1975 to 1990. He also wrote a book called The Great War for Civilization, which is uh, more of a pastiche of all of his reporting from various places in and around the Near East and South Asia. Of course, the centerpiece for that um, great tome, and it is quite hefty uh, since its publication in 2005, um, was um, his reports of his three interviews with Osama bin Laden. So 
People ask all those questions, but as Robert Fisk has said several times, uh, on the very day that it happened, flying on a plane, ironically, across the Atlantic Ocean, he dictated a story back to his editor uh, back in Europe saying, no one is going to ask the question, why? Why did this happen? Um, And that question is really at the core of what I'm trying to get at here. If you ask the question why, you implicate yourself. That means, so I didn't ask why this happened. I mean, it was the furthest question from my mind back on September 12th, 13th, and 14th, 2001. I didn't ask it for several years. Sure, I opposed the uh, second Iraq war, but I didn't oppose the Afghan war, which preceded it by several months. I thought that was justified. I simply didn't understand the massive, hideous, gangrenous history covered in all of its warts and boils of Western influence in the Middle East, and specifically the last, let's say, 100 years or so of United States influence in the region. I didn't, I may even have known about it, but I didn't ask the question why would people be driven to such wild and crazy and harmful and destructive activity? All I did was get caught up in victimhood. So rather than drone on about this forever, yes, pun intended, um, I would instead close with a question or really a request If you're listening to this and you've gotten to the end of it, um, it means that you actually have some doubts or some questions about what your government, or at least the United States government, does in your name. Or if you're not an American citizen, um, maybe you're in a country that's allied with the United States. Also, I've already established that I'm not the greatest patriot, so probably if you've gotten to this point, you haven't been too surprised by the things that I've said about American foreign policy. But here's my request, and you may have done this already. As this, the 15th anniversary of September 11th comes upon us, and I don't really know what anniversaries mean, and I don't know why multiples of 5 or 10 anniversaries are any more important than any other, but as this one comes upon us, my request, not for me, but for you, that is to say, I'm not asking for myself, I'm just asking, is that at least for a little while on that day, you ask yourself, why did this happen? And it actually really doesn't matter what your answer is. Maybe you have an answer sort of packed up neatly in your back pocket that you unfold every year. Maybe you'll be compelled to do some outside research. Read a book. Listen to a podcast. I don't know. But on that day, which is tomorrow, just... Take a minute or two and meditate on the question, why? Thanks again for listening to this episode of What We Will Abide. More to come. Original music is by Morning Stillness. The song is called Black Vulture. I am the black vulture, feel this form, find my place alive.
I look down 